what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host, and I'm the director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the dean of the School of Business and Industry at Catawba Valley Community College. Hey, Gary, how are you doing today? Doing great. It's been a busy month. It's going well. And we're now we're now into fall. You have any big fall things going on? I love sports and I love football. Unfortunately, I went to Wake Forest, and so we don't have college football there that much. Well, but they have a club team or something. Yes, don't they? we actually beat Army this weekend, so that was a good thing. You know, I went to uh, Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina. We had a we recently had a game with a school over in Greenville, North Carolina. It didn't work out that well for us. I, I heard about that. A lot of my. Purple and yellow friends talked about that. Well, I, you know, for our listeners out there who are East Carolina fans, congratulations. We, we sort of hope you have the best football team in the state of North Carolina because it looks like the other alternative would be Duke, and that would be even a bigger problem for us North Carolina fans. That would be a tough one, I know. Anyway, we've got a big uh, program going on today. We'll uh, clean off our desk a bit uh, and get uh, an article knocked off. Uh, our guest today is Joe Fox with Dirtball Fashions, who is an entrepreneur and started his own business. And we'll talk to Joe about his business and learn a few lessons that he's picked up along the way that he can share with our listeners to hopefully help them avoid a little bit of heartache. And then we're going to finish up with our um, small business of the month. So uh, have a really good show. Looking forward to it. And we also want to thank uh, our sponsor for the show, which is the Greater Hickory Kia Classic at Rock Barn. That's going to be going on in October. So we would appreciate their support. It's a great event. So uh, I was going through my desk uh, yesterday trying to say, you know, what should we discuss at our podcast? You know, and and I came across uh, an article by uh, Anna Handley in the Entrepreneur Magazine about uh, writing tips for entrepreneurs because I don't know about you. I work with folks on business plans and uh, people that might be looking for funding out there that have to figure out a way to put it together to show to either a bank or potential investors. So, uh, you know, writing is a skill that uh, not everybody has. So it's got some some good tips there. Yeah, I really like the article. And again, it is a fine line that we. Uh, tread when we're trying to sell our idea, when we're talking to somebody. We want to make it as clear and as concise as possible, but when you get into writing business plans, sometimes it gets a little bit formal and legalized and or so, legalized. Well, here, here are a few of the tips that they suggest. Number one, use real words. You know, how do they come up with this stuff? Use real words. So uh, you know, just don't uh, do too many cliche-type words or you know, we, you know we, we've used the, the term uh, gate with everything. You know, uh, whenever there's any sort of crisis, you know, it's something gate or controversy. So be careful with the buzzwords and focus on using real words. Uh, related to that, avoid what they call Franken words, web, weblish and words pretending to be something they're not. I thought that uh, was interesting term you know, franken words franken words you know which you know, i guess that's a word that you should not use franken yeah, I, words i think that was a pretty good key yeah but uh, don't use weirdly bolted together to create stiff bizarre versions of words 
uh, typically ending in I-Z-E, is or isms or istics. So uh, bucketize, not a good word. Don't, a good don't, word. don't say bucketize. No, I haven't said that much. Okay, well, you haven't said that in a while. <laughs> this is one that, that I always try to do, and, and it's not always easy. It's called, it says, use the active voice as opposed to passive voice. So instead of saying, the video was edited by a guy named Bill or Gary or Jay, who's our producer today, uh, a guy named Jay edited the video or the podcast or something like that. So that's just, just cleaner and simpler. Ditch weakling verbs for more descriptive verbs. Yeah, it's always good to do. Lose adverbs except when they enhance meaning. I feel like you know this is this could be the English podcast. I was, I was just say this is the English uh, course for the yeah next yeah. couple months. Right, so I'm, I'm sure our fans love this. In fact, a lot of our students are listeners to our podcast, so I'm sure they'll appreciate that. I'll be looking forward to hearing about that in class. We always appreciate their feedback. Yes, use cliches only in a blue moon. So try to avoid the cliches. That's a problem for me. I live on cliches. Well, yeah. But not when I write, quite honestly. When I talk, more so than when I write. Number seven is trim word bloat. Simple is better. It's too easy to just start throwing words in there. Well, you know, we're trying to keep somebody's interest, so if you start getting too wordy, you're going to lose them. So I think it does keep it simple is a a good strategy. You got to think of your audience, and if it's a lender or a potential investor, you know, they want to cut to the chase. They really want the facts. They really don't want the fluff. This is generally not going to be a sales piece as much as give me the facts and data and let's go on from there. Exactly. And uh, number eight, it says, it's okay to break some grammar rules. It's okay to start a sentence with and or but or because. It's okay to write a single word sentence for effect. It's okay to say why not question mark. So uh, I thought that was interesting. You are, you are the English person and journalist. Do you agree with that last part? I read that and thought about you. Oh, did you? Well, I, I, I've done a little bit of writing in my time, and, and actually I, I, I do agree with that. And, and, and the other thing that I always tell people is you, gotta, you have to sort of vary your sentence structure. You know, I, I, I have some, some kids in school, and, and every now and then if I, they'll ask me to read their papers or sometimes they don't ask me, I'll say, let me read that paper. I want to see how you're doing. And uh, one, of, one of the comments that I see in their papers, as well as some of the business plans I see, is that, that uh, they'll maintain the same simple-type sentence structure over and over and over again, and sometimes you just sort of need to have a longer sentence or a shorter sentence or things to break it up. Or you, you know, I saw the dog. The dog was red. It was a nice dog, you know, and it's blah, blah, blah. blah. don't like that. I understand. Well, you're trying to keep somebody's interest yeah. in different ways. Well, before we lose our listeners' interest, let's introduce our guest. <laughs> I think this will be exciting uh, and interesting. Our guest is Joe Fox, uh, and Joe uh, started his own company called Dirtball Fashion. Joe, how are you doing today? Just fine. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for coming. And you know, when I say Joe Fox, you know, and not to date myself, you know, there was a, there was a movie, a semi-business movie called uh, You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and yep. Meg Ryan. And Tom Hanks played a guy named Joe Fox. It was loosely based on me. It was loosely based well, that, on you. It's good to know. Say so you're the owner of a, a humongous bookstore that put little guys out of business. Remember, I said it was loosely based. Very loosely. <laughs> so actually, Joe's company, Dirtball Fashion, uh, Joe's come up with a line of apparel that's made entirely out of recycled yarns and manufactured in the USA. And before Joe got in that, he used to race cars. Uh, you know, he's sort of got an interesting, diverse background. But 
Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dirtball Fashions and, and uh, you know, I touched on it, but tell folks what it is and, and sort of how, how you came up with it. Well, basically, Dirtball is a 100% eco-friendly, 100% made-in-America apparel brand. When I started the brand in 2008, 2009, it literally was because we saw, or I saw in particular, just all the textile, all the furniture jobs just falling off the cliff here during the Great Recession. And I said, well, you know, we need to do something different. And I had no experience in textiles whatsoever. Didn't know at the time the difference between a knit or a woven. And decided that uh, that uh, we were going to just try to do something different, make a sustainable product that was not only environmentally sustainable but economically sustainable. So we would not have to rely on production coming out of China or the Far East. So Dirtball was was born, and we started out just with literally white T-shirts because at the time that was the only technology that was available to us to make a product. Mm -hmm. Since then, five years later, we now have jeans, chinos, T-shirts, polos, truckers, hoodies. Looks like you have hats because you got your trucker hats. hats Um, Exactly. And so anything that we found that could be made domestically that we could make utilizing a recycled cotton or recycled polyester, which is our kind of shtick, so to speak, is uh, recycled poly or recycled water bottles. You know, every year the United States alone produces around 52 billion water bottles. Uh, North Carolina alone puts about $42 million in plastic water bottles into landfills annually. So it's a resource that, one, if we recapture, we can uh, lower our carbon footprint and actually help uh, contribute to um, saving the environment. You know, one of the major causes of pollution right now uh, in the oceans um, and our rivers and streams, for that matter, are water bottles that do not find their way to the landfill or to the uh, recycling bin. Our latest creation actually is a jacket that we call the 50, and it will launch on Kickstarter. And I know that there's going to be a question about that in a few minutes, but it's going to launch on Kickstarter. October 4th, and it's aptly named because it is made from 50 recycled water bottles. It also is the first recyclable or closed-loop piece of outerwear that has ever been produced. That's exciting. It's it's pretty cool, yeah. We're we're really excited about it. But, uh, you know, just as an example, by recycling those 50 water bottles, it compared to virgin polyester, it saves about three gallons of crude oil. Each uh, water bottle requires about a half a pint of crude oil to produce, whether it's actually in the molecular structure of the polyester itself, as well as the energy required to make that water bottle. So, you know, just in in our little Kickstarter program, if we were to do a thousand jackets, you know, that's 3,000 gallons of crude oil that we don't have to use, you know. So we're, we're excited about the aspect from an environmental standpoint. The mills that we we're going to use are, um, you know, we're getting our our yarn from Reprieve in Yadkinville. It'll be woven by Burlington Industries somewhere up in um, Pennsylvania, and then we have a cut and sew down in Ashboro. So it'll be again an East Coast, you know, all um, U.S. textile. A lot of coordination for you. That is just necessary. That is a pain. That <laughs> we, we have now. Now one of the things actually is we 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 try to work with each product is its own individual supply chain. Okay. So, because if we looked at our total number of mills that we source from right now, it's like 23. 
So if we that's look, a lot to keep up with. So we, well, whereas we just look at the T-shirts. All right. So the T-shirts they get, you know, the fabric comes from one guy in Lincolnton. It's assembled in another guy in South Carolina. The trim tabs are made actually in California, and then the heat seals are made here in Hickory at Delmark. So there's certain things that we we try to do. Just focus on that one particular product with this individual supply chain. Because if we, like you said, looked at all 23, you know, it can get can get somewhat daunting on occasion. So, so I mean, you know, you, you talk about the, uh, uh, the benefits of the environment by, by using these recycled yarns, you know, which is wonderful. How does your pricing compare to, to the other guys? I mean, does that, that, does that put you at a, a real price disadvantage, or, or are you competitive? It used to, but with um, rising supply chain or global supply chain management costs, mm-hmm. rising fuel costs, and labor cost overseas, we're pretty close to price point competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which, I mean, I think people should be willing to, willing to pay a little bit more for, for, for your type of product. Yeah, for local sourcing, local yeah, being the United States sourcing. So as long as you don't give them sticker shop. And, the, and, there's, and there have been some studies that say that a person will spend, you know, 10% more on a U.S. made or 10% more on an eco-friendly product. We just we toss that out the window. We look at straight up being price point competitive, you know, mono a mono mm-hmm. with with no no benefit you know so if, if we're in there at 100 bucks let's say and our competitors in there at 100 bucks for the same product and we are an eco-friendly and we're made in america we'll then let the story um right convince the person that they need to buy us rather than our competitor when it comes to the the you know the competitive advantage we're, we're you know our margins right now um, I don't want to get into too specifics because I, I like to want to keep some cards close to <laughs> I, my chest. Sure. But, but, but we're, you know, we're, we're, almost everything that we produce, we're pretty close to a keystone at, mm-hmm. our, at their current volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about where we are with the supply chain is when I looked at making Dirtball just a T-shirt brand initially, we're like, well, we could have a glitch in the supply chain, and we, we'd get pigeonholed at maybe a 3 or $4 million gross brand. And then we would max out maybe our, our T-shirt cut and sew or our knitter. Whereas if we expanded the line to carry jeans or woven products or, or chinos or truckers or polos or whatnot, then the brand actually has the potential to grow to be a 10 or a $15 million brand with each individual segment of our product line only representing about 15%. Mm-hmm. So... There again lies the rub from the margin standpoint because we're only hitting some of our mill minimums when we order, right. which they don't. They, you don't get as great a deal. But at the same time, we then can run numbers on. All right, well, if we hit a reoccurring mill minimum, and I go to say to uh, Wallace and, and Ashburn and say, Wallace, all right, we now need fifteen hundred of these every month versus we need fifteen hundred every six months. Well, then the margin changes. So we feel very, very good about where we are currently with our margins. And a lot of that has to do with short supply chain costs, vertical integration on our standpoint from, the, from basically acting as the converter, from buying the yarn, having it knitted, having it finished, then having it assembled and managing that along the way, as well as uh, we do not have to keep as much inventory in stock as you would when you, go, you get a product from, from let's say, China or Vietnam or sure. you know overseas. Sure. This is a real life case study yeah. that we talk about in 
class all the time. It's yeah. great. Now, now keep in mind, you're talking to a guy as a history major at Elon. So <laughs> all of this business knowledge that I've developed is 100% Google and real world. Uh, <laughs> that is how everything impressive. is acquired. Uh, <laughs> now, who are your customers? Uh, who do you well, sell to? Well, we, we have the threefold model. We have an internet model where we sell direct to the consumer. Then we sell to retailers. Uh, we just picked up Mass General Store. Uh, they sent in their first PO today. Uh, we have a, um, a whole conglomerate of, of little independent retailers around the country, whether there be little surf shops in Florida or out in California. Um, we have a, we have a dealer, Oriental Wheeler dealer, I believe. That is. I, 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 they were, they're probably not listening, but they're down in Oriental, North Carolina. Um, and they're just either men's boutiques or outdoor supply type of stores. You know, about 25 of them right now located around the country. We're currently working with Aramark, um, which I thought they just did uniforms. Mm-hmm. However, we went to Outdoor Retailer, and they actually managed a bunch of national park stores. Well, yeah. because they like the national park stores, and it's a made-in-USA product and, of course, an eco product, mm-hmm. um, they're in the process right now figuring out what type of mix they want. They, they were interested in our shorts, and they're interested in our T-shirts. Uh, and then Cabela's Canada is one another one that we're getting ready to finalize as well. We've already finished up our vendor agreement with them and look for them to put in a, a purchase order soon. So that'll represent another thirty some retail accounts that we'll be able to That's great. hook, hook up now, with. Are you the the marketer? You the seller? Um, actually, I'm the let's just say the business development guy. <laughs> oh, um, good answer. <laughs> I, I, I do have a girl now that that works for me that. Um, she is in charge of independent accounts, um, some um, promotional item stuff, and um, then kind of customer service. And actually, that brings me back to the third aspect of our business, where we do promotional item stuff. So we make stuff for Google. Uh, we make stuff for Widespread Panic, a little band out of Athens. Um, Sweetwater Brewing has been kicking our tires as of late, wanting us to do some stuff for them. So we, we, get, we get oftentimes like-minded brands. Uh, and we like, of course, like-minded bigger brands because sure. we're smaller, of course, and we want right. to use their brand. Uh, what's the term? Brand awareness right. to to benefit the increase in our, you know, in- increase our brand awareness. Well, you know, talk, talk a little bit about as you were uh, some of the lessons that you've picked up along the way. You know, you've been in business for for around five years, a little over five years at this point in time, and I'm sure it's come with its trials and, and tribulations, and a lot of our the folks that listen to our podcast are starting businesses or thinking about starting businesses. Anything, any lessons that you picked up that might be able to save them a little of the pain that maybe that you went through as you got up and running? Well, as, as I spoke, I guess, a few months back at your one of your business classes, um, the biggest thing that I saw was when we developed our business plan, uh, the business plan, I, I think, needs to be very fluid, in, in my opinion. If you, if you try to live and die by well, you, what you put on that paper initially, it's like a tree in the wind. The tree in the wind, it does not bend, blows over and fails or dies. And so literally I took that business plan. I, I have not actually looked at the thing in like three years now. I mean, it was a good, it was a good baseline to right, figure to out where we, where we were. But after that, you know, uh, we live and die at our office by Guy, Guy Kawasaki's 
simple motto, sales fix everything. <laughs> so, I mean, cash flow is king. I mean, if you have no margin but you still have cash flow, at least you're selling something and you can figure out how to get more profitable. Yeah. But, I mean, 100% of nothing is still Well, that's a huge nothing. thing that you mm-hmm. said because we talk about it with a lot of folks that are getting started. And cash is king. It's important to make sure that you may have a great idea, but – You've got to make sure you're generating cash and you're going to be mm-hmm. solvent by the time you achieve all the things mm-hmm. that you want to do down the road. So that's great. Uh, Joe, when you were getting started, uh, you know, did you, did you fund it yourself? Did you get outside support? How, how did you get your funding going? And, and you mentioned Kickstarter. We'll, we'll start, with, start with how you got started, and then let's talk a little bit about Kickstarter and how that's worked for you. Um, I, I did actually fund it myself. I had taken some of the money that uh, I didn't lose in the crash of 2009. <laughs> and uh, basically, I was fortunate in that uh, when I started Dirtball, I was single. Um, so I rented my house in Charlotte, and I actually moved back in with my parents. And um, So you, you're suggesting all potential entrepreneurs... Do not do, do that. Do, 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 do not do immediately that. get rid of your wife and her girlfriend <laughs> or, or a significant other and move in with your parents. Well, well, in, 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 no, I, I would not <laughs> suggest that. I, was, I was, would okay. not suggest that. For, forget that. The, forget the, that. The point is that in today's environment with what we decided or what I wanted to create, a path to profitability in three years is... is not really realistic you know i'm going to end up being a seven to ten year overnight success you know? <laughs> so you have to go in and when you, you you and this comes from my racing background and my, my mentality on things is when you go you go all in and so i had no clue again but this is what i decided i'm going to do period come hell or high water this is we're going to succeed at this so you know, I, I funded it myself, and um, from that, from there, we got, you know, we we bounced around. For the first two or three years, it was really, it was really kind of touch and go, uh, and then um, uh, we got to a point where we had a little bit of a little bit of sales, and um, I met a, I met another gentleman here in Hickory that's my business partner now, who actually owned a couple brands, and he was um, fairly well off. And so he said, well, I'm in. You know, so he bought in to 49% of the brand. And then that really gave us the capital and the cash flow then to ex- help expand the line, uh, as well as we're fortunate in that we don't have to go to a bank. I mean, we went, I won't mention the institution, but we were like, well, you know, let's go get a credit line. So, so my partner says, well, you know what, I'll go and I'll deposit in a CD, you know, let's say just for numbers but ballpark numbers he's like i just put in two hundred fifty thousand dollars well so i go to the 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 bank officer and i was like okay we'll put the 250 grand and then we want a two hundred fifty thousand dollar credit line and they're like well we only actually give you about 10 percent of what your cash flow is for the credit line so in your instance right now, you know, you're, you're going to have access to about $25,000. So we're like, so wait a minute here. We're going to put What's 250 grand in your bank, and then we're only going to have access back about 10% of that. So, again, there's, there's, there's a point to this in that the bank or an institution can be your friend. But at the same time, you have to really watch how you strategically set up access to your funds because if you don't, it actually can also be somewhat of a hindrance. Yeah, can tie your hands. You can tie your hands. 
time 2013 Greater Hickory Kia Classic Champion Michael Allen. Please join us at Rock Barn Golf and Spa for the 12th Annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic, October 13th through 19th. Watch me defend my title against two-time Masters winner Bernhard Langer, two-time Hickory winner Jay Haas, Kenny Perry, Fred Funk, Champions Tour rookie Lee Jansen, and a fantastic field of Champions Tour players. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day. Get your tickets today at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. So over the last five, six years, one of the thing, one of the developments that's changed the landscape a bit is crowdfunding and, and opportunities that probably weren't out there, you know, five, ten years ago. And, and I know that you have used Kickstarter in the past. I think you used it to get your line of blue jeans. The green off, jeans. Off yep. The green jeans. I say <laughs> I call it the blue jean, but I guess you call it the green jeans <laughs> because it's an eco-friendly product. Uh, what? Tell us how that worked for you and, and what you learned going through a Kickstarter campaign. Well, we successfully funded it. We raised about $43,000. Um, we, we, in hindsight, jeans, probably not the best because people like to try on jeans. Um, so no matter what you do when it comes to your uh, size chart, you know, you're going to have some folks that yeah. are going to return them or, or they're going to, or they're going to just say, eh, we're not quite sure, uh, which was about mid tier. You know, there was a couple other brands that they had raised, uh, 79 and it was another brand that raised 30. And it was one guy, I think the, the highest gene raised was like 150 grand. So, um, it was, it was, um, you know, we were right there in the good mid tier on the on the overall raise the trick though to a kickstarter program is everybody thinks well i got this great idea and i'm just going to make a prototype do a little video and and away we go and away we go yeah well that that is the quickest way not to succeed and of course kickstarter if you don't hit your goal unlike indiegogo Indiegogo will give you whatever you raise. Kickstarter, if you say you want ten thousand dollars and you raise nine hundred ninety or nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, you get nothing. Right. So you have to hit fund your goal one hundred percent in order to get the funds from Kickstarter. In doing so, if you're going to do a Kickstarter campaign, it depends upon what the product is, but you're going to look at a seven to eight thousand dollar investment just to get the Kickstarter program rolling. You're going to have to have a PR agency to push every day uh, and call. You know, we like in our instance, we got um, or our, our PR agency out of Charlotte. Um, they're calling the Wall Street Journal. They're calling Maxim. They're calling High Snobbity. They're calling New York Times. Uh, they're getting in touch with the producers at GMA. They're getting the producers at touch with the producers of the day show they are pushing it out there because you got to walk out there with an elephant gun and try to kill one of those because if you get one of those and they got to do this for six weeks you, you you know that that million person impression will fund the program like that but then at the same time you're out there we're going for the home run but you got to get the base hits right so you're you're looking at the blogger who's got thirty thousand blogs you know or, or blog followers and you, you try to line up 15, 20, 30 of those guys. And then you do that, and then you'll trickle in a couple, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, pledges here and there. And that'll get to your goal. So you have to do a multi-pronged uh, attack when it comes to your, your public relations. But when you send out the release, the release has to be something that is somewhat interesting to the guy who's going to 
publish it. It has to. They feel feel it has to be newsworthy, right. Right. or then you're going to get nowhere. Right, right. So in order for it to be newsworthy, it has to then have a story. Um, the product you're going to have to have a prototype. So you'll probably be in depend upon what it is. You know, like our our first jacket ran us a thousand bucks just to make one, mm-hmm. and that's because you're going to have to pay a sewer. There's a lot of upfront investment. There's a lot. There's a lot of upfront investment, and then you, you also not only do you have to have the stake, which is the jacket in this instance that we're doing, or the jean last year, then you have to do the Kickstarter program, and we actually long lead now our press. Last time we did not long lead our press, so we start long leading three weeks out, which I think is still on the short end. When you say long leading, is that just getting it to them you're, ahead you're, of time? You're letting everybody know, coming down the pipe, October 4th in this instance, Kickstarter is launching the first recycled content, recyclable jacket ever. So you just start pushing that out there so that when that program launches, because you already want the buzz to be there so you can instantly fund it up front. Because we found that if you fund it quickly, then the it's snowball effect. Everybody's like, man, right out of the gate they got funded. Oh, we need to be on board with that. All right. Um, so you not only have to have your, your stake, but then you have to have the press release. But then going along with the press and the coverage there, you have to have adequate graphics. So you can't go and, and just go into – Microsoft Paint, you know, make a couple cubes and add some I can't text. Get like a little not. stick man guy <laughs> that's uh, putting the yeah, jacket on. It's, it's, as much as as successful as life is good is, <laughs> you cannot do a stick man for a Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. Um, and and once you put all those things in place, you're going to have a fairly significant amount of capital outlay, not including, you know, I, I consider my time free. If you budgeted in you know the time that i actually spend on it as well it again it becomes a very or a fairly hefty investment considering man you're all or nothing yeah Yeah. Um, so so have you decided uh, what your campaign goal is at this point in time for your upcoming Kickstarter campaign we we lowered it actually because the last campaign was forty thousand and we raised forty three thousand it was literally down to the last so you were sweating yeah well i was sweating yeah yeah um, this time we've lowered the goal down to 20. Okay. Uh, and, that, and that's actually another thing that you have to figure out if on whatever your production costs on your product are, then you got to throw in, well, wait a minute. So I need this many products to fund the Kickstarter campaign. And when you say funded, basically for a certain level of contribution, you'll provide that product to, to so, people so, that con- contribute to your campaign. So, and we have different levels of rewards, but let's say as an example, uh, for ease of math here, a hundred dollar reward gets you a jacket, and we want to fund it at twenty grand. Well, we know that based on that, then we have to buy so many yards of fabric, have so much in cut and sew, and that will actually require twenty thousand dollars. Oh, wait, what did we forget? We forgot the production cost of the video. We forgot the production cost of the graphics. We forgot the production cost of this sample, and then hiring the PR firm. So then, all of a sudden, just to produce your minimum. Where you can break even, you're going to need to look at tacking on, or, or take that into account, and really to your hard cost, right? To how exactly. many you need to sell in order to break break even. Do you realize how much you've learned in the last handful of years? Uh, Just listen to everything I mean, you're doing, and what a broad base of knowledge. Well, 
I was going to say, evidently not enough, or I would have done better in my in my primary run <laughs> against uh, for the '96 <laughs> house seat. But uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story you can get into maybe on another episode. Yeah, that'll be a different, that'd be a different <laughs> podcast. But uh, I, I think your example of of the Kickstarter campaign also is important to to under, going back to your cash flow piece of it. In that for you for this to be successful, you got some pretty significant out of pocket expenses that mm-hmm. you're incurring before you're going to get any money from Kickstarter. Correct. Well, and, and as an example. Of a guy who failed the first time, but then came back with the greatest Kickstarter campaign uh, ever, was the guy who invented the coolest, which um, is a cooler that the first time he put on there just went nowhere. But it's a cooler; it's got a blender, it has an iPhone charger or a phone charger, it has a speaker, uh, it's got different dry and wet areas. It's basically, as he likes to call it, a party in the box. Well, the first time he did it, um, he went nowhere. I mean, they didn't even fund, and just so happened there's some internet guru out in Seattle where evidently there's a lot of really smart internet people. Um, but we've, his next door neighbor said, we have "Man, many listeners there, by the way, Joe." <laughs> but but he said, "Let's let me do it." And he had this internet SEO guy get a hold of the thing, and the second guy around. He raised thirteen and a half million dollars, and now he's got to figure out how to make sixty-six thousand of these things. <laughs> so, um, you know, Kickstarter again is a wonderful thing, but as, as much as I would like to have sold thirteen million dollars worth of green jeans, um, that's sort of a different animal. That you, you when you have sixteen sixty-six thousand units, especially with a cooler and all the intricacies this is yeah. going to have with charging systems and motors and all this stuff that goes into it. It's a lot of risk. It's a lot of risk because building one, you can do that. (laughs) And then you can probably get a good costing on one. But when you get into that kind of volume, what happens if the plug-in supplier all of a sudden runs out of plating for their little plug? Well, you you know, that, that you have so many little intricacies in the supply chain there that one little hiccup could really be detrimental to the whole whole campaign now of course you get the money and then you have to pledge when the product will be delivered so you you want to kind of the thing that's really is a, a downfall on kickstarter is if you take the money and then you don't deliver when you're supposed to deliver i mean you have a window most everybody will say between january and february you know um and, and I think on his, he's got some going all the way out into August and September of next year. But so there's you, some some penalties if you don't deliver. No, there's not really any penalties. I don't believe other than the community, the, the, the crowd, lo- the fun- loss of your business credibility. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Pretty <right>. much, <laughs> that is the penalty in right. itself. Yeah. <laughs> so and and we're and actually for for the puffer jacket, I'm worried about that because uh, we have a tight window for our Christmas delivery. And with with a regular jacket, you can just take the finished fabric and take it over to cut and sew and get it made. But because it's a insulated jacket, we then have to have an extra step where it goes to another mill to get quilted. Well, that's another couple of weeks in production. So, um, at a yeah, very busy time of the year. It, well, and then you know the cut and sew people and the manufacturing. That's one thing that. Uh, has been difficult or has been an eye-opener for us is you got to watch when your POs go in when it comes to furniture or textiles because, as Jeff could attest, around Thanksgiving, man, things slow down. Yeah. Not not necessarily in orders, but just people slow down. And then come Christmas time, 
people tend to slow down too. They just right. We're on, we're on July fourth. So if you got certain, it, certain factories will actually close over Christmas or mm-hmm. over, over holiday schedules, and that can mess you up. But but so. prior to them actually closing, closing, everybody just not as fired up as they is not be. as fired up. So you know if we put a, if we get a PO and we and we're we're somewhere in June or July delivery, and that's hitting around the July fourth week. That's, we know that we might as well add two weeks to the delivery time just because everybody's like, oh, we're going on vacation. And, it, and it's the same. China has a different uh, a time of year that they do that. They take then, like a month off at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and then in, in, in Italy, sometimes sometime mid-August. Yeah, they take they off the summer. You're, yeah. <laughs> the whole summer. All right. So. I don't understand how they do business over there when they take a month off. Well, you know, it's, Obviously, it's working okay. Well, the, 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 the food and wine business continues to do well there <laughs> well, during the summer. The tourism so, business. Exactly, exactly. Well, look, uh, you know, we... On our podcast, we like to uh, give people helpful hints. But we also like to have folks like you come on, Joe, to really say, uh, "Hey, I'm in the trenches, and here's here's what I do, and some of the things that we've learned." And uh, you know, the you know, talking about the funding and cash flow, and and your experience with Kickstarter has been very valuable to our listeners. Tell folks how they can find out more about Dirtball Fashion. Um, you could actually just go to our website, dirtballfashion.com. Or after October 15th, if you'd like to purchase something, you can go to all the Mass General stores around uh, the state, and they will have uh, some dirtball apparel in there as well. And if they want to support uh, your your recycle jacket on Kickstarter, when can they find that? October 4th is the scheduled launch date, and it'll be under dirtball, uh, as well as well, the name of the jacket is the 50, again, because the of 50. the 50 water bottles that it's made from. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. That's been really so great. great. Really interesting. Well, thanks for you guys for having me. It was fun. Well, we uh, we like to wind up uh, talking about our small business of the month. I think Joe's business was probably the small business of the month. I was going to say but, really good. But we picked out a couple, too. So, Gary, what uh, what what's your small business uh, for this month? Well, thanks, Jeff. My small business of the month is Sword and Plow, which I saw on a Saturday morning talk show, and I think it might be on Kickstarter uh, Company, too, as a matter of fact. As he talked, I was reading some of the other things about it. But Sword and Plow has been making uh, since its owners and founders, Emily and Betsy Nunez, were born into a military family. They grew up watching their dad lead morning battalion runs, sharing Thanksgiving with soldiers, and watching their uh, career of their uncle, who was a Marine astronaut pilot. That experience uh, inspired Emily to serve as an officer in the U.S. Army and start the company with her sister, Betsy. Uh, the Nunez wanted to create something that was emotionally and physically would touch civilians in their everyday lives and remind them in a beautiful way of the challenges our country and servicemen face and the power every person has to help uh, their fellow man. Uh, Their thought was that most people use a bag of some type throughout the day. By recycling and repurchasing military goods with a fashionable touch and working with veterans that create the sturdy and sophisticated products that will empower veteran employment uh, reduce waste, and strengthen civilian military understanding. Their bags are rugged, refined, and relevant. And obviously, you know this business hit home with me as the father of a Marine. He's very mm-hmm. proud of it. Well, very cool. It reminded me a lot as Joe was talking, uh, similar in some of the concepts. Well, cool. Well, my small business of the month is uh, it's a, it's a sort of a restaurant that I saw. I saw something in Our State Magazine, which is a magazine about a lot of things going on in North Carolina. I say a restaurant. It's actually a mobile food truck called Big's My, Big Mike's Barbecue 
which started in the fall of 2011 by a fellow named Michael Markham in the uh, Raleigh-Durham Triangle area of North Carolina. And really what caught my eye about Big Mike's Barbecue is the the fact that his mobile food truck is actually he's he's built this red a small red barbecue barn that he's got on a trailer that he tows around to different parts of the triangle uh, and it serves as his mobile restaurant it's got a propane generator a 250 pound pig drum smoker hot water heater triple sink refrigerator with condiment station stainless steel countertops the whole deal he moves it around the triangle uh, as, as Joe was talking about the party in the box, I thought, right. yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a bigger box, it's, bigger box. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a good party going on there. Uh, you know, if you check out their website, they've got an up-to-date calendar, so they're easy to find. I uh, was looking at it, and he, he tweets every day about what his location is going to be and puts it on Facebook. Just really a good uh, uh, model for how to make a business like that work. Uh, you can you can find him at www apexbbq.com A-P-E-X-B-B-Q because I guess he's originally from Apex and I was looking at it this week and he's actually um, in the process of also starting a standalone restaurant in Cary, North Carolina. So uh, you know, hats off to Big Mike's Barbecue, and and when we visit that area, we need to look for the the Red Barbecue Barn, and uh, or go visit his standalone place, which will be opening sometime in October of this year. And uh, well, we love barbecue. We, we like the barbecue. We so like road trips. You know, we like road trips. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. So anyway, all right. Again, we want to thank Joe for joining us today, and uh, thanks, and Gary. And uh, now that uh, another episode of our Entrepreneur Exchange. We appreciate everyone listening, and we look forward to talking with you again next month. Take care. Thanks. Take care. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.